At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. This hour, we're going to be joined by Ned Ryan and bottom of the hour, Jonathan Turley. Uh, Ned Ryan, I'm going to get the political side, Jonathan Turley, the legal side. When it comes to the president, what he's looking at uh, in Mar-a-Lago and the chances of uh, where that story's heading, as well as everything else. I hear uh, the January 6th hearings are coming up. Uh, Again, they go back. They're going to keep going back to that right up until Election Day, maybe even on Election Day, because they keep getting new revelations about Cassie Hutchinson and other people that don't know exactly what happened, but know it was bad. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The reading scores are back to where they were 30 years ago. This is really a disaster. So the kids can't read. Reading and math predict your, whether you're going to stay in school, whether you're going to have success. Huge learning loss for this generation of school-age kids thanks to a lockdown fervor during the pandemic, much of which could have been prevented. And the money set aside to catch these students up is wasting away. We'll explain as the CDC set to demand we take another booster shot. Problem? They barely tested it, and we don't need it. Number two. You heard today from the hearing that the judge really pounded away on the government's lawyers because she kept saying, what's the harm? What's the harm from a special master? And you're right. I think a special master, it's a neutral referee who's supervising the process. Tom Dupree weighing in. I've said this all along. The judge might approve a ref, i.e. special master, to examine what was taken from Mar-a-Lago and why. What the judge said and where this debacle is at as President Trump heads to the stump Saturday night for his first time since the raid. Number one. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Yeah, here we go again. Nice unifying speech. Purely unpresidential. That's how I label the Biden belching address, belting bile belching address in Philadelphia last night. Division uh, was the intent. Trump voters were the target. Supporters, of course, will be uh, uh, the Trump supporters, also the target. Will it be effective uh, in limiting the red wave in 65 days? Sadly, maybe it is working. Maybe it's the abortion ruling. I'm not sure. But the Wall Street Journal did a poll, and they asked people uh, when it comes to what you're going to vote on. The generic poll is not good for Republicans. Uh, Despite more than two-thirds of the American people saying the country is heading in the wrong direction, they found, did the Wall Street Journal, that 47% of registered voters would support a Democratic candidate for Congress and 44 would support a Republican. 9% said they were unsure. The same poll showed Republicans 46-41 in March. 
13% were unsure. Now, look, I'm not big into polling. You're not big into polling. I don't think anybody should be married to it. We're all ups- we're It's so off that people think elections are stolen or, or manipulated. And I think that plays into it. But the president's speech last night was ridiculous. They wanted to give him a red, white, and blue background at Independence Hall, right? And what they did is got all red. So he really looked like he was coming to you from Hades or from Lenin's lair, talking about MAGA Republicans. MAGA Republicans, Trump, excuse me, Make America Great Again is something Republicans signed on for. Nobody signed up for January 6th. Nobody loves the way the president acted after the election. Very few. But it has nothing to do with the agenda he ran on, the one he got elected on, the one he implemented, despite a phony Russian hoax. I could not believe how wrong this tone felt. Cut to. Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. There's no question that the Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. Look, if I had his report card, I would look like to change. I would want to change the focus. I would want to talk about the border, dereliction of duty. He busted it. I wouldn't talk about the Iranian deal that's even got Democrats upset because it's a top secret deal with a terroristic nation that might allow their sanctions to be lifted, billions of dollars to flow into their coffers, which will go right into terrorism and ballistic missile technology. I wouldn't want to talk about Afghanistan, the biggest debacle in American military history, authored by President Biden. I wouldn't want to talk about the weakness that he's shown overseas with China taking full advantage of uh, by the Chinese, by the Russians, by the Iranians. I wouldn't want to talk about that. I wouldn't want to talk about locking down a country way too long for a vaccine they said would do way too much. For boosters, they caught the people when they posted up and said no way. They were fired from the military on down. And a kowtowing to the teachers' unions. I wouldn't want to talk about inflation. I wouldn't want to talk about a rescue plan that even Treasury experts who work for President Obama, almost all of them said is a train wreck, will inflate inflation, which it did. Kevin McCarthy got out in front of this. He had a so-called of a pre-buttal before the, before the speech. Cut 11. Citizens are forced to make agonizing choices every single day just to pay the bills. You know, more than 20 million American households, that's about one in every six families have fallen behind on the utility bills. The amount they owe has doubled since the beginning of the pandemic and winter is coming. Yeah. I mean, that's the economic news. That's a little grim. I mean, obviously he's not trying to win over votes. He's trying to paint the picture of what he wants people voting on. How did he do? How did he do? Now he's mentioning Donald Trump's name every other day. For the long time, longest time he says my predecessor, the other guy, and now he's changed. Let me ask him. You want to rally your base at, at what cost? You use the Marines in the backdrop of Independence Hall to give a partisan speech. The only thing missing was a balloon drop at the end. Kellyanne Conway on what she thought knows a lot about messaging. Cut 15. The first rule of politics is if you want to engage people, you don't enrage people. 
We don't insult people. We inspire people. And we all try to do that. And a president, particularly one who ran affirmatively on that platform, mm -hmm. must do that. One last thing. I want everybody to know that 234 of the 589 days Joe Biden has been in office, 234, he has either been on vacation or in some other leisure pursuit that had nothing to do with his job. Ladies and gentlemen, when he does show, he's no show Joe. That's a terrible stat. And it's unbelievable that he run for president three times, been in Congress since the uh, 70s, first ran in the 80s. Uh, failed the year Barack Obama ran, got the nomination, and the, ultimately the presidency. His his campaign blew up literally the first day, literally the first day when he called Barack Obama a clean, uh, a clean uh, guy. Who uh, on I think it was first interview was with Letterman, but he was also mocked by Johnny Carson. He was a joke. Now he gets the job. All he does is bike in Delaware. Some people liked it. Democrats loved it. I'm not sure all of them did, cut seven, but here's what some said. We'll start with CNN and MSNBC to give the instant, post, the instant analysis from the postgame show. That speech was Joe Biden. That, that speech was exactly why President Biden ran for president in the first place. He almost seemed to sort of be reclaiming patriotism. What was more pro-USA than this speech? And I think this is exactly what the, his vo what Democratic voters wanted to hear. This is like 1860. This is like 1940. You know, you have to talk about the large issue in the room. And just as, as Lincoln gave the House divided speech, just as Roosevelt gave a speech on the State of the Union about the four freedoms. Here is a time when President Biden has chosen. Unbelievable. It's amazing that you talk about two Americas. I mean, what channel is she watching? He yelled himself through the speech. I'd play some cuts of it, but it's such a turnoff. I'll save it for a little bit later. The other thing that's happened because of the president's policies and kowtowing to the unions and the slow pace in which he actually opened up the schools. He had no interest in taking them to task. In fact, he was spent most of his time trying to squelch and shut up Parents who were speaking up at uh, school board meetings because they were listening to the curriculum on Zoom and said, are you kidding me? Is this what my kids are learning? So during the pandemic times, after as it began to become clear that you couldn't you'd have to keep people six feet apart to get open up those classrooms. And they did. Then they said, we need some money. They passed another spending bill, $350 billion. And you wonder, where's that money? Should it go to an annex like the Huntington Learning Center? Kids, you're going to have to work harder. When you're done at 3 o'clock, I think three days a week, you got to put extra help in. Well, how do you do that if you're short on teachers? I'm thinking to myself, why not do a Huntington Learning Center? How many other learning centers are out there that might be able to, and other teachers want to make extra money, to help kids out? They've lost 5% in math and 7% in reading capability over the last 18 months. So put some of that money. So where is the money? Well, it turns out only 12% of the money earmarked for elementary and secondary schools for learning, for catching kids up, has been spent. Only about $70 billion of the $350 billion allocated for state and local governments has been spent. Just over $100 billion of the money was, uh, was actually contractually committed to be spent. Why? Because these, because these states have acted irresponsible when they got the money. There was no mandate. There was no penalty. So they took their time spending it. And some of the things they spent it on, from vape detectors to police vehicles, 
to restorative justice, to green cost share programming? Mind-boggling, mind-bogglingly irresponsible. When we come back, Ned Ryan puts in perspective. Am I overstating the negativity of that speech? He will put it in perspective, founder and CEO of American Majority. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you you listen to your favorite podcast out of the gates and ready to go hey it's hutton with row hot mike is here on the outkick network we've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion and it's available wherever you find your audio daily analysis and news he is hot i am mike actually my <laughs> name is chad his name is jonathan but you get the picture we're gonna bring it every single day whatever you want to call us we'll respond to we just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day and while you're here we hope you subscribe to the podcast like subscribe and share he's so busy he'll make your head spin it's brian kilmeade Let's step back to where we were uh, not too long ago when this president walked into this administration, uh, how mismanaged uh, the pandemic, the response to the pandemic was, uh, how 47 percent of schools uh, were uh, in, in less than six months, uh, our schools went from 40 per- 46 percent uh, to, to open to nearly all of them being open to full time. That was the work of this president. You unbelievable that she would actually say that out loud. The press secretary trying to say the pre- it was President Trump's fault the schools weren't open. Ned Ryan, founder and CEO of American Majority and former speechwriter for Bush Forty Three. Ned, what's your take on that spin? <laughs> I mean, my my first reaction was that was to laugh. I, I can't believe the bald faced lies. They're not even trying to tell the truth. Of course, Trump wanted. I, I would remind people, and in, in April of of twenty twenty. Trump wanted to reopen all of the all of the society after two weeks and said, hey, let's hit a pause. Let's reopen. Trump and the Republicans wanted to make sure all of the schools, everything went back to normal as soon as possible, as soon as we got a grip on, on what COVID was all about. And the ones fighting it, the ones making sure the schools were shut, were the teachers' unions and their Democratic allies. And now the fact that they are trying to place the blame on Trump for what they overtly and adamantly did – I, I guess I shouldn't be shocked, Brian, but I, I am kind of shocked at the bald-faced lying that is coming out of the White House. Yeah, how about this? How about the fact that uh, the teachers' unions basically pressured the administration and the CDC yes. to say it's not safe, and the six feet apart was from 1918. It prevented any kids to go back to school because six feet apart, you can't fill up a classroom. Yeah, no, everything along the way was, was used to manipulate and get what they wanted, which was keep the, the schools shut down. I mean, when you the, the thing, Brian, I think we're going to look back in a few years. I'm even looking back right now going, I can't believe this complete idiocy gripped the entire nation. Six feet apart, wear masks that are ineffective, all of these crazy things, lock down the enti- entire economy. I mean, some of this stuff is just absolutely insane that we did it and the damage that we have caused not only to the economy but to our kids. I mean, the fact that we've put them months and months, if not years, behind in their education, their reading, their basic skills – 
it, it's pretty shocking. Again, when you realize the what what COVID was really about, it was not it was not the Black Death. It was not the Black Plague. You know, it was, it, we had to take it seriously on some levels, but it was not what it, what it was originally thought to be. And, and the damage we have done, we're still working through, and I think we'll still be working through it years from now. Yeah, how about this? The money that, we, that was put aside for that schools and that ridiculous rescue plan that just that rocketed inflation, they put $350 billion, $70 billion of it's been spent. To New York right. City, they spent, they spent $4.9 million for a no-stopping New York ad campaign. Montgomery, Alabama, they did vape detectors to prevent uh, close contacts and sharing of paraphernalia. They did a big education campaign that cost millions. New York City Public Schools also budgeted $12 million of the rescue plan to expand restorative justice uh, programs. Minneapolis did green cost sharing programs. So, and a lot of it is just flat out unspent. Seattle spent over twenty, uh, spend uh, money to upgrade over twenty five miles of neighborhood greenways. Are you kidding? What does this have to do with the children's education? Nothing. I mean, the, 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 there's two points to be made here. One, Brian. First of all, I, I think it's becoming pretty obvious that our our public education system that we, the taxpayers, are funding, they're more indoctrination centers, right? They're not centers for learning, for actually learning basic math and reading skills, all of those things. They're indoctrination centers in which. The, the teachers' union and their leftists are wanting to basically do massive social experiments to create what they want, not actually for the betterment of children. But I think, I hope, that more and more people are realizing the teachers' unions are actually your enemy. If you want your children to succeed, if you want them to have the best opportunities in life, the teachers' unions, as they exist currently, need to cease to exist. I hear you. I want you to get a little taste of the president's speech the other night. It was magical. Uh, here's a little of it, blaming a certain group. Cut four. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards. Backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. Right. Uh, first, uh, the first portion was the Supreme Court, the MAGA Supreme Court. Would, would you have written a speech like this? Well, I, I would have. I probably would have written it in German. I think I think it sounded much better in the original German, Brian. I mean, it was a from the setting to the words to the tone. God, it was it was a loathsome, sinister speech. I mean, to put a fine point on it, the entire speech, the Biden regime, not administration, regime, made it very clear last night that it views its domestic political opponents as enemies of the state. And and when Biden talks about the extreme MAGA agenda. I mean, really what that's about is we want secure borders. We want to reduce inflation. We want better economic growth for this country. We want to lower taxes. We want to protect the nuclear family. We want domestic energy production for energy independence. We want to uphold the Constitution as the founders originally intended. It's about Americanism. That's what Biden and his regime view as extreme. And I think if, if the American people can have the ability to fully understand what he is proposing and what the America First people are proposing, the America First people want America to succeed. We want all of the American people to succeed on all fronts. And for Biden to say that in that setting and use that tone, unbelievable. I hear you, Ned. I was beyond words when I was done with that 24-minute scream fest. Uh, Ned, thanks so much. Always, Always enjoy your perspective. Thanks, Brian. All right, when we come back, Jonathan Turley on The Raid. 
the special master, and so much more. So glad you listened to the Brian Kilmeade Show on this special Labor Day. I know you might be getting an extra day off, but thanks so much for making this a things to uh, listen to list. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You heard today from the hearing that the judge really pounded away on the government's lawyers because she kept saying, what's the harm? What's the harm from a special master? And you're right. I think a special master, it's a neutral referee. It might slow the process down slightly, but at the end of the day, I think it would give people a lot of comfort that there's an independent, neutral, third-party referee who's supervising the process and making sure that any privileged documents are properly secured. Yeah, the FBI, DOG do not like when you question them. I think we're getting that drift. Now, when the administration put, when the former administration pushed back, when the president pushed back, and I'm sure he will Saturday night, they're not going to like that. And then when you ask for the affidavit, they said no. The judge says yes. They give us a redaction last week, and then we get a 36-page explanation on why we don't need a special master. Try to point out how egregious uh, this situation is with the former president of the United States and the paperwork he brought back. And the judge they're talking about is Eileen Cannon, at which time she said, basically, why wouldn't you want a ref? Unless, of course, you want to be in control of the outcome. I got to get Jonathan Turley's take on this, law professor at J, uh, George Washington University. Jonathan, what's your take on the stance so far of Judge Cannon? Well, she was asking the right questions, the rather obvious ones. You know, the position laid out by the Department of Justice, uh, the legal positions, in my view, were just transparently absurd. I mean, the the argument that the appointment of a special master would violate national security or threaten national security uh, is ridiculous. I mean, the special masters are appointed all the time. Some have clearances. Uh, attorneys like myself are often cleared in national security cases. I long had a TSSCI clearance so I could look at this type of evidence. So what the government was saying in those papers was just absurd. And I'm surprised if, if the Attorney General Garland would sign off on a filing like that if he read it, because, you know, he's a former judge. He knows these arguments are absurd. And so she pushed back and she kept on asking a question. And by the way, um, not only is a special master completely protective of uh, national security, but um, these documents are entirely in the control of the Department of Justice. So they will be reviewed uh, in a skiff in a secure location. So a couple of things. I mean, it's not necessary that uh, the president's going to be the former president's going to be happy with what the special master says. They might say, yeah, there's there's X, Y and Z there and there's uh, uh, super secret documents there. And and by the way, uh, here are your socks uh, and here are your loafers. <laughs> uh, so they do understand this. Or they, they said we already separated some of these boxes. There was uh, 520 pages, 64 sets of documents that the Justice Department said uh, the filter team came up with through the review that belonged to President Trump through attorney-client privilege. Why can't you just accept our review, they say, with the filter team, they say. Fundamentally, I know it's sad to say, but your filter, your team, that filter team is your team. So what are they going to come up with to make me feel secure that you're working on my interests, too? 
Am, is, am I thinking along the right lines, Jonathan? No, these are the, some of the concerns I think that are motivating the questions from the judge. First of all, the, the DOJ taint teams are not inviolate. They have routinely been criticized uh, for, <laughs> excuse me, for failing to be uh, protective or sensitive, particularly for classified, uh, for privileged material. But the other weird thing is the government keeps on saying, look, we don't have to do this because we don't have to give anything back because these are ours. <laughs> well, that's the point. You just said that you likely collected attorney-client material. That's not yours. You know, the, the point of the special master is to separate out these documents so we know what we're dealing with, so the judge, more importantly, knows what she's dealing with. But even on stuff that is outside the intent of the warrant, the scope of the warrant, the Department of Justice actually said, we won't give that back either, because they said that's evidence that he mixed classified material with unclassified material. Well, once again, that's absurd. I mean, you, you have a record of what was in the boxes. You don't have to keep it. You know, when you go into a crime scene and it's filled with furniture, you don't take all the furniture. You just take a picture of the crime scene. You document what was in the room. So it's these arguments that just leave you baffled that anyone would actually file that in a court of law. But, you know, Jonathan, you know what reminds me of? It's it's almost as if, from my perspective, I know you live this stuff every day. uh, How dare you question me? Uh, It's one of those things. You know, I'm the the parent here. How dare you question me? You're you're six years old. You're eight years old. Uh, I know what's right. Well, my way or the highway. And they're just not used to this type of pushback. Do you think, from what you know now, do you think they are surprised that it got to this? That their raid was looked at as a raid? That the blowback was as intense? Do you think they are surprised by the level of of this? I think that they're surprised that it has gotten to a federal court to to as a possible check on their authority. I mean, what's what's interesting in terms of the situation as judges in is that not only are the statements made in this filing, in my view, make no sense at all. But this is coming after they claimed that no redacted affidavit could ever be released or at least not before any charges, because it would damage national security. Not one sentence. And then the, the court forced them to do it, and they released a lot of information. They had a lot of redactions, but they confirmed a lot of points. There was no danger to national security. Read that material. So they were exaggerated. And now they're making the same arguments with the special master. But in the filing, there's a footnote, which is incredibly telling. So they say, no, you can't appoint a special master because it it would endanger national security. And then they drop a footnote that says, but we may release more information if we feel extraordinary circumstances justify them. You're like, what? I mean, that sounds a lot like we'll give you some more information if you just don't appoint a a special master. Yeah. So what did Trump, uh, from right now, from what you see, what moves did his his legal team make that you question? Well, look, they did make a mistake by not filing uh, this motion the day after the raid. Also, having this material Mar-a-Lago was a mistake. I don't care if it was if he believed it was declassified or not. Uh, there was there's a reasonable argument that this might not have been declassified. But more importantly, the government considers this to be classified at the highest level. I think that you should yield to those views. Mar-a-Lago is not equipped to hold highly sensitive material at the TSSCI level. 
when I deal with that material in the case, I've got to go in a skip. I can't bring in my phone, a computer. Yeah. I can't bring in anything. So I think that was a mistake. No question. Why make your life more difficult, especially if you know you've been a target, the January 6th investigation is happening, and it's not like the president was in a rush to open up a library. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I did, and it's not somebody, remember, he was always looking at these briefings as something that should be told to him. He didn't want to read it. Then they knocked it down to one page. That's just not the way he operates. The other thing about the president, which I know and it's been confirmed, which I've seen, is he doesn't like any clutter. His desks are always wide open. So it's one thing he was always working on. So for him to be a hoarder and to want all this stuff is odd. But when I see the video of what seemed to be 20-somethings just with file boxes and suits, casually bringing it in the broad daylight onto Marine One or stacking them up outside, it's hard to imagine that's the way crimes happen. I am looking to do something so diabolical. I'm going to get some guys who, in their last day in office, will just pack up file boxes together and stack them up and wait outside for a government helicopter. It just doesn't yeah. seem sneaky. It doesn't seem diabolical. How, how do you, how do you try to do something evil that way? Well, I think that's one of the reasons why the Department of Justice seems to be moving its chips over to the obstruction table. I uh, do. Because with obstruction, you don't have to prove that these were classified documents. You have to prove that your effort to investigate classified documents was obstructed. And in their filing, you know, they say agents believe that they saw obstructive conduct in this history. Now, as a criminal defense attorney, I got to tell you that type of statement always worries me because you're worried that they are committing themselves to a path that's sort of hard to get them to walk back from a statement like that. Uh, And what may be motivating this is they know they could try this case in D.C., which is a nightmare jury for for Donald Trump. But I still think that there's a lot of real estate between here and a conviction, and more importantly, to upholding a conviction. Uh, This is not going to be a lead pipe cinch of a case. Understood. When you're investigating Anthony Weiner like the FBI was doing, they stumbled on Yuma Uma Abedin's laptop. I guess he was using it. They get uh, Hillary Clinton's emails. It gets to Comey, and she, he opens up an investigation. When I get to, to – can I make the same parallel to well, I went in there because he had documents that didn't belong to him? And it turns out a lot of these documents – some of these documents helped the January 6th investigation. Can I hand them over to, the, to Adam Kinzinger and company? Well, I think that one of the things we, we can learn from a special master is sort of the division of these cases. What are we talking about here? I mean, for example, the Department of Justice says there were three classified documents uh, in the president's desk. Well, what was the classification? I mean, you, that doesn't tell you what the documents are. A classification can be a confidential classification. That's something we put on phone books in, the, uh, in government cases. So we can learn more from the special counsel on this. But also the reference to these other cases is going to be key. Merrick Garland has a responsibility to treat like cases alike. And there are legitimate issues raised with regard to Clinton's emails. I mean, those those contain top secret material on a less secure location in digital form. Also, Clinton's people did not cooperate 
with investigators. The State Department had a heck of a time trying to get them to hand over computers. They sat on actual laptops containing this information uh, until they could negotiate further, went on for months. And so it's a very similar pattern, but you didn't see a rage. You didn't see any real serious move towards prosecution. Ultimately, you had the, uh, the, the Comey press conference. So they're going to have to, if they're going to go to prosecute Donald Trump, offer some explanation. And that may be why they're looking at obstruction, because they know that there is this glaring contradiction with Clinton if they go after the retention of classified material. So the Clinton's bleaching part of that hard drive, smashing other parts of it, uh, being interviewed on a sleepy Saturday uh, with their with their attorney, who's also wit- wit- a witness, played into this. And they also did confirm that a foreign entity had breached uh, into those digital documents. So that was also concluded. But even forget about what aboutism. I'm just wondering if they did walk out with something and, it's, and one of the uh, forms said January 6th outline to uh, to blitz the Capitol. Can they turn it over to the January 6th group? Um, that's a good question, because, first of all, if the material is classified, uh, it could find its way through one of the intelligence committees like Adam Schiff's committee. They can use the argument that we need to see the damage assessment. Uh, and the documents. Uh, But also, uh, Merrick Garland is also looking into January 6th. So they most certainly can get that material over to other prosecutors uh, for the January 6th investigation, which apparently is still sort of limping along on the DOJ side. Got it. Uh, Jonathan, with no shortage of cases, we didn't even talk about Georgia and where that's going. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Jonathan. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. Thanks. You too. Uh, We should pay him time and a half as much as he's been on television and radio. When we come back, your turn. What are you doing this weekend? 1-866-408-7669. Are you somebody looking at their bills and saying, I'm changing my plans? Were you someone saying, the heck with that? I've been in for two years. Finally got a public setting I want to go to. I'm going anyway. Uh, Don't forget One Nation. I examine these things from the consumer level and the macro level about uh, the country, how we're affected by what's going on. Uh, on One Nation, 8 o'clock on Saturday, right here on Fox News Channel. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. You know, when you ask me about the mega agenda, especially as it relates to Congress, as it relates to elected officials, uh, it is one of the most extreme agendas that we have seen. Uh, And it is a a part of the, uh, it is is the extreme part of of the Republican Party. And we're talking about they want nationwide ban on abortions. They want to give tax cut to billionaires and corporations while raising taxes on middle class Americans. It's totally wrong. I mean, and nobody would fact check that correctly. If you if you fact check that statement, it is totally inaccurate, and that's not a uh, that is not a radical agenda. It cut regulation, it uh, lowered the tax rate to something more competitive to Ireland, the rest of Europe, and China, and uh, what it also did is took one percent of the top tax bracket. One percent. That is it. And and by the way, they have been fact checked by Kessler in the Washington Post, and she's totally wrong. So you feel like you could say anything, 
and most of the press just sits there docile because they're so used to saying Republicans give tax cuts for the for the rich and the famous, and it's just not true on either count. Most of their bases were is blue collar now, and that's a fact. And now it's becoming a Hispanic base. Stephen, listen on WNDB in Daytona. Hey, Stephen. Hey, Brian. Good to speak with you. First time I've called in. Um, so last night, what I was watching uh, was what I believe is Biden's um, trying to get his base stirred up to uh, potentially cause violence to conservatives after they lose in November. Um, it's very similar how when the Russians invaded Ukraine, he first blamed Nazis in Ukraine. That's what he told the military. Uh, and now here we are. He's talking about Nazis and, and semi-fascists and red states and all this. And I think it's just an attempt to stir up the potential violence on uh, people like me after the Democrats lose. Well, that's just it. Right away, you got a question because he came out when the election laws were passed in Georgia, and it ends up being not being sensationalistic to the point where Stacey Abrams had to redo her USA Today editorial, and he called it Jim Crow 2.0 when there wasn't. Uh, what they did is they they would stop stop signature matching. Uh, they also have uh, mail in voting, but you got to have ID to vote, and eighty five percent of the country are for that. And they said that's Jim Crow 2.0, and Stacey Abrams never admitted she lost. Hillary Clinton multiple times says she had the election stolen from her. Donald Trump's an illegitimate president. He never brings that up. What I worry about, Steve, is if the Republicans do well, I think they're going to do much better than everyone's saying they're doing right now. Abortion, Roe v. Wade and all. They're going to say, look, that's because they changed all the election laws. Illegitimate. We can't let them do that. Uh, Don't believe this election. But one of the things he said is they don't they like elections until they lose. They don't want to accept them. Donald Trump had problems setting, uh, accepting an election laws. Nobody likes January 6th. Nobody uh, that I know of on the Republican side. So if you to label people on their worst day, instead of looking back at all the Black Lives Matter riots that you allowed happen without ever, ever saying a word until last Tuesday, and you keep saying, well, that's the party. January 6th is the party. What you doing? Most people know 99% of the people listening Republicans listening say, uh, never going to vote for that guy again. Not going to listen to a word he says again. That's a blatant lie. And uh, I certainly am more motivated now. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Privileged to have with us in a matter of moments, Geraldo Rivera. Uh, he's going to say goodbye to his Hamptons house and have to return to the Midwest, Ohio. Dr. Marty McCary will be here. Something interesting about the new COVID vaccine that they have out, the new to tackle the variant. Never been really tested on humans, mostly animals. They're a big brush to get it out. Uh, and by the way, Omicron pretty much disappearing from the landscape. The CDC recommending it. What a shock. Dr. McCary to put some some uh, some logic and some sanity into these shots. So before we get to Geraldo, and of course, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, uh, let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The reading scores are back to where they were 30 years ago. This is really a disaster. So the kids can't read. Reading and math predict your, whether you're going to stay in school, whether you're going to have success. 
Yeah, that's all. Huge learning loss for this generation of school kids thanks to a lockdown fervor during the pandemic. Much of this could have been prevented, uh, and the money was set aside to help the students catch up. I'll tell you where it is, and it's not going to the kids. We'll explain, but won't make excuses. Number two. You heard today from the hearing that the judge really pounded away on the government's lawyers because she kept saying, what's the harm? What's the harm from a special master? And you're right. I think a special master, it's a neutral referee who's supervising the process. Judge might approve a ref, i.e. special master to examine what was taken to Mar-a-Lago and taken from in the raid, what the judge said and where this debacle is at. Number one. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Purely unpresidential. That's how I label the Biden bile belching address in Philly last night. Division was the intent. Trump voters, supporters, the target will be. Will this be effective in limiting the red wave in 65 days? Let's bring in Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, just take that question, if you would. Uh, your your characterization of the address, if you had a chance to watch it, and is it effective in allowing the Democrats to accomplish their goal? I don't think so, but I, I loved your characterization. Vile belching. Yeah, vile belching. <laughs> very, very vivid, very vivid. <laughs> uh, I, I, I agree uh, somewhat. I, I think that it was uncharacteristic for the nice guy, quote-unquote, president. Uh, I thought it was an unfortunate, lazy stereotyping, a lot like the basket of deplorables from uh, Hillary. I think it'll have the same uh, rebound effect. It will not make people afraid to vote Republican. I think it'll have them take another look at Biden and say, this sounds like the desperation of a politician. I thought it was very unfortunate. I wish he had not done it. We don't need that kind of uh, uh, rhetoric. The country is divided enough as is, and he's supposed to be the healer, not the divider. And I think that this was, again, I, I think it was uncharacteristic, but it sounds to me like his political operators are uh, manipulating him into saying that, oh, now he's a tough guy. i tell you one thing, though, Brian, and I think it's very interesting, and I, I think maybe we're burying the lead, is that after he went on with that uh, belching bile <laughs> uh, remark. Uh, he uh, he also singled out abortion as uh, the issue that uh, the Democrats should and are rallying around. And I believe that, uh, that in that aspect, uh, that that smaller aspect of what he said, I think it's uh, it's valid. I think abortion will be the issue that motivates many Democrats. He, yeah, he brings up fentanyl for the first time a couple of days ago. He never brings up uh, the border. He does, never wants to talk about Afghanistan. He certainly likes to run from inflation. So, But right now, here, this flies in the face of what we both said. The Wall Street Journal did a poll. And despite more than two-thirds of Americans saying we are on the wrong track as a country, and that has been the situation, the Wall Street Journal says that the Democrats now have an advantage in the generic ballot by three points, where they were trailing by six in March. Is, do you believe, Geraldo Rivera, this has to everything to do with the Dobbs decision? Uh, I do. I think I, everything is, is maybe too sweeping, but I think it has principally to do with that. Uh, when you consider uh, uh, immigration as a flashpoint issue, for example, uh, if you're not watching Fox News, you're not seeing the uh, caravans of migrants uh, coming across the border and then being bused to the various cities. You may hear the local mayor uh, you know, espousing some outrage, but it does not seem yet – 
or maybe ever, that immigration will be the issue on which people will vote. Uh, abortion, on the other hand, and, and more broadly, personal freedoms, gay marriage, uh, all things that uh, Clarence Thomas, for one, uh, said uh, the Constitution did not support or did not mention. I think that those are the kinds of things. I think that uh, the Supreme Court did not do the Republican Party any favors uh, in handing down Dobbs uh, at this right. stage of the game. They could have pondered it. They could have postponed it. They could have made a much more narrow ruling, uh, all heading ultimately in the same direction. But to do it in one fell swoop. I mean, I was in D.C. with you uh, after the inauguration in uh, in twenty was it twenty seventeen? Uh, you saw the demonstration that happened after the inauguration, the women's the, march, the pussy hats, and all that. Uh, that was real energy. That was a the turnout bigger than the inauguration turnout. I still don't and know I what it was that, about. That, well, it was the I president think it was didn't about, run on pro life. He, he just was like, yeah, you know, that wasn't going to be one of his focuses. Well, it it became so with the Supreme Court picks, and I think that. Yeah. It is the issue on which the the Democratic Party has staked its uh, its still slender chance to avoid a debacle in November. So a couple of things. The president of the United States did not want to mention Trump for a year and a half. That might even when he was going against him, the guy in the White House, the guy that used to be here, my predecessor doesn't want to mention him. Now we can't stop mentioning him. So Trump speaks Saturday. Uh, I noticed that he's already agreed to wait on his decision till after the midterms, which I think is huge. What role should the, pres- the former president play now? Well, first of all, the current president should get a new stage manager because they Terrible. made him look like he was in Dante's Inferno, you know, with flames behind it's him. It's unbelievable. You know, he, he should have worn a, you know, a, a devil's horns and a and a pitchfork. Or Lenin's so face. melodramatic. I don't know what who was thinking of what uh, with that background. In terms of what President Trump should do, I, I t- to me, and you know, I loved the guy all those years, best, not best friends, we were, we were good friends and colleagues. And, you know, I was a celebrity apprentice with him in 2015, just before his, his big run. Uh, I, I think he has to, to me, I think that he has to address January 6th. He has to say there was misunderstandings or I'm sorry it turned out the way it did. Uh, but look at my record. Look what I've done. Uh, look I at, agree uh, with you. In terms of the border and, all get, and turn positive. But he's got to he's got to deal with the baggage of uh, of January 6th. And now look at the Senate of the United States. Uh, it, but for Georgia in December. Uh, the Republicans would have control of the United States Senate. You wouldn't have had all these trillions of dollars of expenditures unless there was truly bipartisan support for it. I think Trump screwed up Georgia with his uh, his narcissism uh, and uh, this uh, this uh, you know abs- I, I don't want to characterize it over uh, you know too sharply, but it was really a terrible uh, disservice to history, to the Constitution, and to the nation. And if he just said that, and I'm sorry for it. Uh, it was a uh, but you're a lawyer. You're a ro- lawyer, Geraldo. Wouldn't that get him in trouble? Excuse me, we have a quote from you here, and you're going to say this about Mike Pence, and we have your lawyer who's going to be in front here, and uh, this is what Cassie Hutchinson said. So couldn't he, you would probably recommend against as a lawyer. Yeah, as well, an American, so- you, you'd like to hear it. But as a Correct. lawyer, you'd probably say, don't even bring it up. 
Let me make a broad statement here. I do not believe any of these legal actions against the president, up to and including the raid, the ill-advised raid on Mar-a-Lago, will have any impact. I don't think he'll be found guilty of any crime. I, I don't even think he'll be charged with any crime. I think that it's all a bunch of nonsense, uh, you know, uh, with uh, – what's the name of the attorney general in uh, in New York? Uh, Letitia uh, James. Letitia James, her lean and hungry – political ambitions. She uh, she went after Andrew Cuomo and then announced she was going to run for governor the next day. I mean, she's she's just such a, a, a transparent, uh, hungry politician looking for her next gig. I, I don't think that any of that stuff is going to have any effect on, on President Trump. Gotcha. I think uh, that I... his problems are that he went out of control when he lost. It was a spiteful, uh, childlike behavior that uh, really affected the country in a very negative way. But yet he still can rebound. Uh, but I, I can't I argue so. with anything you said. Uh, I COVID react, the COVID reaction, We turns out we have some numbers behind how much our kids have lost in reading and math, five and seven points. I think it's probably even more, as they were told, to stay home in various communities uh, for about a year and a half. And guess who played the biggest price? Black and Hispanic kids. For the most part, they did not sit for the Zoom and did not have uh, the, perhaps the parental pressure to do it or the ramifications when they didn't. So guess what? Corrine Jean-Pierre knows exactly who to blame. Trump. Cut 25. Let's step back to where we were uh, not too long ago when this president walked into this administration, uh, how mismanaged uh, the pandemic, the response to the pandemic was, uh, how 47 percent of schools uh, were uh, in, in less than six months, uh, our schools went from 40 46 uh, percent to to open to nearly all of them being open to full time. That was the work of this president. My goodness. She says that with a straight face. You know how we used to struggle to get every school open, wouldn't take on any of the unions, would not push back to get the kids in school, would not back off uh, the vaccination demands of the teachers. I mean, could you believe that whitewashing of history? I think that Lori Lightfoot, certainly no friend of President Trump, au contraire, uh, her frustration with the teachers' unions in Chicago and their refusal under uh, the most reasonable conditions to go back uh, into uh, the Chicago schools and the resulting, uh, just using Chicago as the microcosm, uh, the resulting disorder and, uh, and absence of education that happened in that city where so many of the children do not have laptops. Uh, they don't have, uh, you know, the kind of family structure where you could have a disciplined, you must sit down now, little Johnny, it's 8.30, and, uh, okay, you get a break at 10.30, uh, you lunch at 12. Yeah, you know, the they, discipline, none the of routine. And the result, uh, the result is, uh, you know, as we all see now, it's, it's horrific. Uh, you know, I even sort of with my own teenager, that whole year and a half away from her friends and colleagues, uh, you know, it's, it was a, it was a, every, I forgive uh, Fauci and the scientists a lot because they were groping, uh, you know, they were looking, uh, they were, they were desperate. Uh, but the, 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 the political actions that followed and to politicize it now is really, is really terrible. Let me just want, if, if you want a conspiracy theory yep. investigation, investigate when the vaccines were really ready 
to go distribution. Yep. If they had come out a month earlier, it came out in November, at the end of November, the big uh, uh, heroic announcements from Pfizer. Pfizer held Moderna. it back. If they held it back for political purposes, uh, in the same way that the FBI urged, uh, yep. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, the the media to stay away from Hunter Biden. I mean, that it really it stinks. It really is. Uh, is uh, if that if they really did that to Trump, they really screwed him that way. That imagine uh, the people who could have been saved, lives saved, but for politics. If 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 I mean a lot. Of I, I believe I believe they very Pfizer has been discovered to have done that, but if Trump wants a legitimate argument that's beyond lawsuits or speculation, it is going to be that the the warp speed produced a vaccine before the election, and number two, that that big story that directly affected the candidate turned president was suppressed by all social media led by the FBI, whose maybe chief architect of that suppression was walked out of the building last week. Yeah. Uh, Geraldo, it's worth pursuing. I see a Fox Nation special with you. That's, that's a great idea. That is a great idea. It would be a great Fox Nation special. Well, I shall explore it. Well, if you don't mind giving me some credit in your uh, stand-up Brian, open. I, better than that, I'll, I'll give you a talking head. Oh, a really? talking head appearance. As long as there's but a red so background. I don't, know, I don't know when I could fit into your schedule. I see you're on this grand tour of the Northeast. And it's great. What, are you, what are you selling exactly? Nothing. I, I wanted to be able, you know, I can't do any speeches. And you, you know, you have trouble too because there's so many con- conflicts with sponsors and people that want you to speak. So I said, what if I created my own event where I could talk about all my books, red, white, and blue, uh, get a chance to talk to the audience like I do on this show, and have a chance to meet one-on-one. And instead of having two minutes at a Barnes & Noble, or at an event for radio, I said, what if I created my own? So we worked out some things uh, to do some things at theaters. So I'll be next Thursday, first time since the pandemic, uh, be Thursday in front of an audience. And I think it's probably the most fun I have. Well, I'll vouch for your charm and your uh, able uh, ability to articulate your, your political points of view and your, your overall kindness uh, okay. I, shines through. Thank you very much, Geraldo. Have a great three uh, days. Brother. You too. All right. He'll be on a boat uh, in a tight shirt with very good build. That'll be Geraldo. Uh, and I'm jealous. Uh, I can't even sail. And no, nobody who can sail asked me to come. It's so sad. Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Sounds like a long-winded description and definition of what Secretary Clinton called deplorables. The people that President Biden is is talking about, some of whom supported President Trump, some didn't, are the people who get up every day, go to work, obey the law, pay their taxes, try to teach their kids morals. They are proud of America. They do want to make America great again. They just don't agree with President Biden's neo-socialist woke agenda. They don't believe in bigger government. They don't believe in higher taxes. They don't believe in more debt. They don't believe that we ought to turn our cops into social workers. I'm very disappointed that the president would call people who don't agree with him those kind of names. As Senator Kennedy with us this morning on Fox and Friends, I'm more than disappointed. I'm, I'm outraged. Frank, listening on the Fox News Radio app. Hey, Frank. Hello, Brian. This is uh, Frank from Montana. Hey, Frank. You asked what we were doing. Yeah, you asked what we were doing this weekend yep. earlier. 
Yep, uh, we're on our way up to go elk hunting, uh, just like we've done every year, even during COVID. So you're kind of isolated in a tree stand. So let me ask him: Have you altered any of your life because of nine percent, uh, the nine percent inflation, gas prices double, uh, or have you said the heck with that? I've been in for two years. I'm doing whatever I want. Yeah, well, I have because I'm uh, semi-retired, and all of a sudden my retirement wasn't meeting it, so I went back, got a part-time job. Wow. So, yeah, I'd say I I altered uh, my lifestyle so that I could continue my lifestyle in that sense. Uh, The second thing I wanted to mention besides that was uh, uh, I voted for Trump and uh, twice, and uh, um, you had an interview with Jared Kirshner. It was excellent. Thank you. And he said something like uh, the fact that – if Trump wasn't the way he was, he wouldn't have made it. And I get all of that, but uh, he's not my first choice this time around because I agree with uh, what you and Geraldo just talked about. He needs to, to get a little humility, and he needs to uh, uh, come come before the folks and say January 6th was not good. Uh, he can still believe the election was, uh, was altered. We all know that because COVID. But uh, at the end of the day, my big thing is uh, – I'm a Pence fan because I'm a dying breed. I'm a white male Christian conservative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pence is a great person. I just don't see him winning. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. So the announcement is an important step uh, to getting updated COVID vaccine boosters, which we expect to provide additional protection against the variants of COVID circulating in the U.S. to the American people while we wait for the CDC to make its clinical uh, recommendations. So there's still another step. So we want to be very clear about that. We've been uh, working for months to be prepared for this moment and to get shots into arms this fall and through the end of the year. Really? What shots? Omicron shots? Excuse me? And what kind of testing have you gone through? And I believe the CDC is now recommending we all get these boosters. Or it's a matter of of a few days. Today on the Washington Post, uh, the CDC uh, said that millions of eligible Americans, including those as young as 12, can get an updated Omicron-targeted booster shot to bolster defenses against serious illness and death during a potential fall outbreak. What kind of testing did they go through? And wasn't Omicron two variants back? I'm just a pedestrian, a citizen, a possible recipient. But Dr. Marty McCary does this for a living. Fox News contributor, surgeon, and professor of health policy at Johns Hopkins. Dr. McCary, are we ready for the Omicron booster? Are you? Well, I'd like to see more data because they used data from eight mice to authorize this. There was absolutely zero clinically available data uh, that was made available to the public. So they claim that there's some human studies that they've seen that they've not made public. But the reason that there's probably not public is that this was an Omicron vaccine designed for the earliest Omicron variant, not the current one, which is also on its way out and another one's coming. So what are we doing? You know, might as well get a vaccine for the Spanish flu at this point. Right. And she went on to say, Walensky endorsed a recommendation by the advisory panel paving the way for some clinicians, pharmacies and other providers to begin administering the shots as early as this weekend. Look, uh, you know, if if I'm dealing with cancer treatment, I, I might say to myself, you know, I, I just got to make sure I'm OK. You know, if I'm dealing with some other underlying illness. All right. 
uh, I would have a different approach. But there's just no way that I would, if I was bringing this forward, that I would go do this. The American public is weary about this, and we already know we passed Omicron. And the numbers, even the New York Times are publishing these numbers. This is not a problem. we got to get out of this mindset, don't you think? Well, pharma has been pushing hard for a year now to say publicly and say to the FDA, we need a process to approve new COVID vaccines that we develop so that we can you know, get them out in time for the new variants. So they've been pushing this hard. And if you look at what the FDA did, they basically did everything pharma asked for. They authorized it with no publicly available human clinical trial data. And then the members of their own FDA advisory committee, that is the ex- ex- external experts, they didn't convene them and they didn't have them vote, which is typically what the FDA does now when they know the experts are not going to vote in favor. One of those experts, Dr. Paul Offit from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, probably the most respected expert on the committee, said that this new variant, the Omicron vaccine, should be treated like a new medication. And he felt strongly that it should have the same rigor and process of a new medication. I mean, it's a new vaccine, right? It's a new mRNA strain. Sure. It's creating a new protein in your body. We don't know what that means. So this is the Pfizer vaccine chief, Dr. Anilicia Anderson. This provides an opportunity for people once they get boosted with the vaccine to generate antibodies that can neutralize both, you know, original variants and the Omicron variants, but also the variants in between. If you remember, we had beta, alpha, Delta, et cetera. And so it really provides the broadest opportunity for protection against uh, COVID-19. They found that out from looking at nine mice? Yeah, and it cures cancer and stroke and heart disease Ah. as well, probably. But here's something about, so what they're getting at is an important thing I want to just talk about. Brian, there's two vaccines in this new Omicron vaccine. In that bottle where they draw up the syringe, there's the vaccine to Omicron, which they newly developed, there's also the original COVID vaccine, that is to the Wuhan strain. Now, when you give <clears throat> two together like that, your body is going to preferentially see the Wuhan strain vaccine, the original vaccine, and the immune response will be selective. It's called immune preferencing. Why will the immune response sort of massively prefer the original Wuhan strain and not the Omicron is because it's already been sensitized several times from prior vaccinations to the Wuhan strain and prior exposures to COVID. So that immune response, many scientists are concerned, is going to be so preferential to the Wuhan strain, you're just getting another Wuhan, you know, sort of immune response, and it's going to prefer that over the Omicron uh, vaccine in the solution. (laughs) I find the whole thing exasperating. Um, but let, let's move on, if I can. Something else that we discovered that you and I have been talking about along the way. So you were one of the few doctors that could say, well, what about the kids and what about the socialization aspect of isolation as well as the masks and the ramifications? They did a study, and I actually think this study is kind. Uh, we lost five points as a uh, uh, from grades primary school to middle school, five points in reading, seven points in math. Uh, through the last year and a half of lockdowns. Was this all preventable or part of this preventable and your reaction to those numbers? 
It was. If you remember, a group of scientists um, said, we've got to keep schools open. And they even signed a document called the Great Barrington Declaration. Martin Kaldor from Harvard, Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford, uh, uh, Sumeria, a, a physician at epidemiologist at Oxford. Hundreds of thousands of people signed that petition back in October of 2020, the first year of the pandemic. And it said, we got to have to do focus protection and keep the schools open. They were canceled. <clears throat> you couldn't even find this thing if you typed it into Google because Google ranked it so low. Burks and Fauci trashed it. They wouldn't even meet with these individuals. So, and, and Francis Collins, head of the NIH, famously called them fringe epidemiologists. Turns out they were 100% correct. We've got lifelong learning loss. We've got a mental health crisis that's been ignited. And we've got kids that have been lost to the system. They don't show up at school ever again. They're forever gone. And, you know, when we talk about crime being up, think about the number of kids in Baltimore City that just never logged on to Zoom and they never showed up when in-person learning resumed. So I want you to hear what Dr. Fauci said just last week to Neil Cavuto, Cut 27. I don't think it's forever irreparably damaged anyone, but I think obviously, and you, if you go back and people selectively, Neil, pull things out about me, I was also one of the people that said, we've got to do everything we can to get the children back in school. Go back to some of the clips that you and I had on your own show when I've said that, that it's very important that we protect the children from the uh, collateral effects of keeping them out of school. He never, Go to the record. I have said that so many times. So we, have, we would always follow up saying, hey, you want people locked down. You want them six feet apart. You want, to, you want to do the isolation and the quarantine. And we would bring that up. He never, ever would bring that up. And it would just drive us nuts to be on other channels. And no one would ask him about it. Do you think he's rewriting history? Well, he is. And when he says nobody has really been permanently harmed, I mean, I, to me, that's somebody who's out of touch. It's a D.C., in the beltway, bureaucrat, politician who happens to have an M.D. behind his name. Uh, gosh, you know, he's been wrong on warning of the pandemic, on how it spreads from touching things. He didn't think it was airborne. Then they were pushing cloth masks. He didn't fund research on anything important except long COVID at the NIH hospital visit. You know, this is kind of what Dr. Fauci does. You know, hospitals shut out family members from visiting their loved ones, a human, which is a human rights violation, in my opinion. It was tragic. And he says nothing. He's totally quiet. They shut schools down. He says, yeah, I want schools to be open, but nothing happens. They shut Yokovic out of immigration. He can't come and compete in the U.S. Open. Says nothing. This is what he does. How do you have a scientist, a medical doctor, agree 100% with the policies of the CDC. It's impossible. You can't statistically have that you know, level of agreement with another government agency. Yeah, it, uh, to me, I find it absolutely incredible that he still wants to duck from that. If he ever brought up the so social aspect of it to the point where I used to try to find a school psychologist to come on the show to balance this out because we were getting so caught up in, in the vaccine and the therapeutics. I go, wait a second. While we're doing this, these kids are sitting at home, and I had two kids in high school at the time. I know what was going on. 
And I was beyond them, and they know what they had to do, but the assignments were less, the, the teaching was terrible. The, the, I'm not blaming the teachers either. They were doing the best they possibly could. They got very little cooperation, and I'm in, and I'm in a solid school district from the parents to push them. We, we saw the falling downstairs. I could not get anybody to talk about the social aspect of it. Uh, but we'll have to see, and hopefully we learn from it too. But I see something like Berkeley. Berkeley is now saying if you don't get a flu shot, you have to wear a mask in school. Now, you're a guy that wears a mask when you have to go into surgery. Should we be wearing a mask at school if we don't get the flu shot? I went to the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in D.C., and they require you have to wear a mask in the auditorium. And I'm thinking, is this, <clears throat> is this for life now? I mean, there's, there's mask lifers out there. I mean, they just don't want to have any interaction with anyone unless they have a mask on. But I'll tell you this, when doctors get together for their doctor's conferences— and, you know, I do a lot of speaking at doctor's conferences. So I've been to about six major doctor's conferences with thousands of doctors over the last, I'd say, in the spring of this year, okay, when we had even higher levels of COVID. None of the doctors are wearing masks. None of them. Maybe 5%, maybe. And that, that's fine for them if they want to do that. So what do these school administrators of young, low-risk people know that doctors don't know? I mean, what what's the disconnect? And again, Fauci is on the sidelines. I mean, somebody's double masking as they're playing golf. He doesn't say anything. No, they sh- he should say that, you know, is low risk and you're, you know, you're going to lose the human connection if you wear a mask forever. I would say so. When you go to these conferences and being that you're so willing to speak your mind, and a lot of times it goes against the conventional wisdom at the time, even though you end up being proven right. Do you notice people trying to isolate you? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are certain conferences where I'll notice I'm suddenly disinvited. And it really comes from the public health uh, sort of group in America. The public health academic community has an association called the American Association of Public Health. They canceled or removed Leanna Wen, who's CNN's uh, medical doctor, and former CEO of Planned Parenthood. She was on a panel, and I guess she said something like, we have to learn to live with this on CNN. And they disinvited her they, because there was protest. They told her, we no longer can have you at our national conference on a panel. I mean, they're eating their own now. I mean, it's basically like, you know, this martial law. It's, it's McCarthyism in medicine. And you, I don't know if you saw that California just passed a bill saying that if you disagree with the quote-unquote contemporary scientific consensus, that you can you, you lose your license. Well, you know, heck, we would have lost our license 18 on 18 different issues that Jay Bhattacharya and many of us have been speaking out against. And almost every one of those issues, science has mm-hmm. subsequently proven what was misinformation is now true. I think just, I think fundamentally, I guess doctors go, you know, I, I got to make, we can't be living a life on zero risk. And we should just explain that to people. I don't want you to ruin your life, but I want to say there's a little bit of a risk here. These are things you can do. Make your own decision. And I think that's what built up the resentment, that they just took that decision away and they excoriated you if you were to show up or were less than six feet apart or show up without a, with two masks. I had Dr. Burke say to me, I should consider wearing goggles. Goggles? Are you crazy? <laughs> On television, goggles, two masks well, it, and goggles. Are you nuts? 
in fair in fairness to her, if you're going deep sea diving, I True. would recommend goggles. But otherwise, <laughs> there's no there's absolutely no benefit. I thanks mean, thanks look, for walking look, me back. Look at what's happened with monkeypox. They have a completely different standard, okay? Because a lot of the COVID policy was just aimed at these, you know, the so-called Trump voters, right? We have to smack these dumb people in line and tell them what to do. Even though 40% of the unvaccinated were African Americans in the United States, that was the largest group of unvaccinated, but that's not that wasn't the narrative. Now look at monkeypox, they basically say oh, um just what do have sexual activity with, you know, male sexual activity with other males, do it safely. And here's how we're going to suggest at the CDC, you can do it a little, have sexual activity a little more safely. Whereas with COVID, it was, we're not going to allow you to put yourself in any situation yes. where you might get the virus. Great point. Uh, we'll see. I just, uh, I just have so little faith in these institutions at this point. I'm always going to be looking at a second opinion when I used to just take it as it came. Uh, Dr. McCary, have a great uh, three-day weekend. I hope it's three days for you. It is. Thanks so much, Brian. You got it. Uh, listen, uh, yeah, I know you have some things to say. Some of you listening for the first time on the road. Some of you are on route to vacation. Some of you are off, and you're going to say, what's on the radio at this time? I'm normally at work. Thank you. Your calls are next, one 408 Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, let's go out to Wes listening online in Washington. Hey, Wes. Hey there. Hey, Brian. Thanks. Uh, and thanks to your call screeners for letting me on the phone. Uh, first time caller, but uh, uh, appreciate uh, you and your colleagues uh, allowing us that don't have a voice to get out there and talk. No problem. Who, who, uh, do you sense that the president's message last night uh, is getting through? Um, I, I think to his base it is. I, I don't, I think it falls on deaf ears to the rest of the country. I think that, uh, it's. I mean, he, he he talks out of one side of his mouth, and there's four or five other voices out there that uh, that, that are saying an absolutely different thing. I think that uh, really, uh, you know, it's it, it's hard to 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 alienate half the country and and uh, be be unifying everybody at the same time. It's difficult. Thanks so much. Uh, uh, thanks so much for the call, Alex. Listen on WABC. Hey, Alex. Hey, Brian, thanks for taking the call. Actually, the speech did did get through. It got people through the roof because this is insane what he said yesterday about, you know, he divided the country. He was going to unite us. But I want to say about the student loan debt that it's really so stupid of the Biden administration to forgive all this debt because not only isn't it discouraging the colleges from continuing with these crazy prices, but it's encouraging them to continue. And this is actually what we saw with Obamacare where the drug prices were too high. So Obama said, oh, it won't bring down the drug price. Won't work to do that. We'll just pay for everybody's medications. And the, in this case, what the Biden administration really should be doing is they should be taking away all the privileges and all the special money that the colleges are making because they're officially educating our kids. They should be giving it to the colleges that are charging 
a little, not a lot of money for for to go to those colleges. So that way, these small colleges that aren't charging a lot of money can build themselves up, and get you know good professors and educators. And we could keep the price of going to college down instead of having to use our taxpayer dollars. Absolutely, you, you march these these uh, these provosts in, these heads of colleges in. You say, guys, we got to get this price down. How do we work together? The way you do with car companies, the way you do oil manufacturers, uh, uh, green energy producers. That's the way to do it. Thank you. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show, the, the uh, final hour of this week's show. Uh, Mike Schellenberger will be with us in a matter of a moment. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann will be with us in uh, a few minutes. I should say Schellenberger at the bottom of the hour. As you know, Scott Mann's book doing extremely well. It's called Operation Pineapple Express, the incredible story of a group of Americans who undertook one last mission and honored a promise in Afghanistan because this administration did not. And the way we left was not OK with him. And so many others. So they do. They, they explain in this book uh, what exactly they did with their own money and some contributions because they feel a moral obligation, something the administration did not feel. I happen to know through multiple venues and sources that the president never even got took a briefing on what went wrong in Afghanistan. Didn't read it. Didn't get a verbal briefing on it. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The reading scores are back to where they were 30 years ago. This is really a disaster. So the kids can't read. Reading and math predict your, whether you're going to stay in school, whether you're going to have success. Uh, that is Bill Bennett, uh, our first education secretary. Uh, huge le- learning loss for this generation of school-age kids. Thanks to a lockdown fervor during the pandemic, much of this could have been prevented, and the money set aside to catch up the students wasting away. Number two. You heard today from the hearing that the judge really pounded away on the government's lawyers because she kept saying, what's the harm? What's the harm from a special master? And you're right. I think a special master, it's a neutral referee who's supervising the process. There you go. Uh, That is Tom Dupree. A judge might approve a ref, i.e. special master, to examine what was taken from Mar-a-Lago. We'll explain. Number one. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. (laughs) That's the tone. Purely unpresidential. That's how I label that with Biden's bile-belching address in Philadelphia last night, Division was the intent. Trump voters, supporters, the target. Will it be effective in limiting the red wave in 65 days? First things first. Uh, one of the reasons why I would disqualify this president for ever being success is the way he left Afghanistan, defying most, uh, almost all of his military options and leaders. All of them kept their jobs. The evacuation was was done such a haphazard way. The Afghan army felt abandoned, so they disappeared. The, a lot of them died. Uh, Some other Taliban were able to take over and walk right into Kabul. That was not okay with Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann because he had allies and we had citizens in there. But it was okay with the president who never talks about it. Uh, Colonel, welcome back. 
Hey, Brian, thanks for having me on, man. Scott, were you surprised that the president didn't mention this last night? It just keeps it's just it's just heartbreaking. I, I just don't know how else to say it. I mean, not not only did did our did our warriors fight and and die and bleed in that country for twenty years, but you've got you know all of these veterans who have have just been through so much. Not just with the with the war, Brian, but with the withdrawal. I just saw statistics that said that forty two percent of veterans. Uh, who served in Afghanistan have had mental health emergencies in the last year. Forty-two percent of veterans who served in Afghanistan in one year, and yet you're not even going to mention it. It, it just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a leadership thing. It's—it's—it's it's, it's not even partisan. It's like, why are we not acknowledging the sacrifice of our veterans in this 20-year war? Well, I think they are going to. So all those planes that landed in and the people that got out, they did a great job and went and paid for them with their lives. Thirteen specifically, others were wounded. Absolutely. With the explosion at Abbey Gate. And they're going to be honored at the White House, but you guys aren't. Well, it, look, the Gold Star families. I just, my, our heart goes out to them, to the thirteen who fell, to the to those that were wounded, and all of our Gold Star families um, that fell. I'm so glad that they're being honored at the White House. They should be. And frankly, I think the men and women, Brian, who went to Kabul International Airfield and and did, you know, they did a great job. They they had to do this under chaos. And and I talk about them a lot in the Pineapple Express book. But but what did not go well was the was the the vetting and the decision making at a policy and strategy level about who got on those planes and who didn't. It, so these it was so-called not the greatest airlift in history. Well, I mean, we saw some empty some planes left empty because the president said, I don't want to hear any more empty planes. So they, I don't want to see these planes just sitting there. So they left empty. And the ones yeah, that were in yeah. there, we had no idea who were vetted, and we had no idea really who came back home, correct? Right, exactly. Meaning back and, home and to us, to, to America. Other than the ones that the volunteer groups like Dunkirk and Moral Compass and, and Pineapple vetted, I think, because we served with them. So we knew who they were, we knew where they were, and they trusted us. So we were able to present them responsibly. But that was a fraction you know, of the 100,000-plus that made it out. But even what's harder now, Brian, is it's a, a year later. I was just talking to one of the Pineapple members, and he said, you know, I th- his name's Zach. He was the conductor of the, of the Underground Railroad. That we built, you know, he said um, this anniversary has been harder in many ways than the collapse because a year later nothing has really changed. Let me just share this with you. Um, you know, th- there's a Freedom of Information Act was submitted by one of the volunteer groups, and what we found is that 88,000 Ukrainians applied for special immigration visas. Of those, 68,000 were approved. 66,000 Afghans who we fought with for 20 years applied. 123 have been approved. In other words, 77% of Ukrainian SIVs have been accepted by this administration. 0.19% of our Afghan allies of a 20-year war have been accepted. Now think, about, like, now, now think it, about this. You, these are the people you fought with and trained, as opposed to Ukrainians were just giving weapons. Absolutely. And, and, and look, I'm all about supporting Ukraine, but, but this country is capable so of walking and chewing gum at the same time. And, and the fact that only 0.19% have been accepted. I mean, that is an administration bias. And again, it's not left issue, right issue. This is a, an American issue. Uh, here's another thing. Um, the Ukrainian, there's been no money spent by the sponsors or the Ukrainians themselves on these special immigration visas. No money spent. It's $575 per visa for the Afghans. And a lot of that has come out of the veterans' pockets to the tune of $20 million to pay the processing fees to get 0.19% accepted. And you wonder 
why 40-some percent of our veterans are going through mental health crisis right now, and yet no one is acknowledging any of this. And, and, what, and how do you guys feel about that, and what can you do about it? You do have some inroads to million others. I mean, there's a way to, to at least address this, right? Right. We, well, we're going to continue. We just, I just attended, Brian, a Global Friends for Afghanistan conference uh, down in D.C. at Georgetown University yesterday, and there were all these amazing Afghans and these volunteer groups there. But you know who wasn't there? State Department wasn't there. Department of Defense wasn't there. No one from the administration was there. With all of these people in the room who had done all these evacuations, the Afghans who had made it out, we were all talking about ways forward to address the, the women's uh, abuse issues in the country, to deal with all of the problems of getting SIVs out, resettlement here in the United States. Not one single U.S. representative was at that conference. That's unbelievable because it just shows they want to put it behind them. They do not want to yep. bring it up because it's the biggest military disaster ever. And so many yep. people that were a part of it are still there. Do you know anybody that's been forced out, Scott? Um, what do you mean forced out of their job? Is Mark Milley gone? Is- oh, no, 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 no. There's been none of that. No. And I, and I think that's one of the things that I'm asking people that I put in the pineapple book and the epilogue is please, you know, when you, when you pull the lever, this, this, you know, midterm, think about that. Um, from a terms of, of accountability, it, we need pressure on our congressional representatives that there are public hearings on this thing. Um, because here's one more thing I'll share with you. The Afghan, uh, many of the Afghans who were at that conference yesterday, Brian, you know what they said that was really moving to me was they looked at a lot of the veterans in the audience very emotionally, and they said, I know you feel like this wasn't worth it these 20 years. You gave your youth, you gave your friendships, you lost family members. But what we will tell you is that we are not giving up. We are not going to quit. We are going to take our country back from the Taliban. And it was the 20 years of freedom that you gave us while you held space for us, while you fought and bled for us, and we will not squander that. And I, 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 hope, I, I really yeah. believe that. I, I mean, I believe that. think about this. The Russians came in there to grind up the Afghans, and they were in and out, and they left. What we, what we tried to do is uh, what you guys did is you tried to go in there and give them their country and train yeah. them to work on be on their own. I mean, the yeah. fact that there were methods and practices had to be changed, fine, but our intent was pure. Same thing in Iraq. We don't want to dominate Iraq. We don't want to occupy Afghanistan. As soon as you're ready, we're out. Keep a base? Absolutely. Absolutely. Build an embassy? For sure. Have an ally? Absolutely. But we don't want your country. No. And and one of the, you know, one of the the mantras of special forces is to work ourselves out of a job. That was why we trained so deeply with the Afghan commandos, the Afghan special forces, the special mission pilots. Brian, they carried 98 percent of the fighting. They lost over 60,000 people in the Afghan military over the last couple of years in the fighting. And that narrative doesn't get told. There's this narrative that the Afghans didn't fight. And, yes, a lot of the generals walked off the job. A lot of the Afghan police faded into the countryside. But, but the bottom line is the people that we are standing up for, the commandos, the special forces, the special mission pilots, the NMRG, they fought to the last bullet and were calling us on August 15th as the Taliban were coming into the city saying, sir, should I keep fighting? What should I do? And for the, for the higher-ups to say, well, these guys didn't want to fight and Ghani didn't want to stay, uh, so he left with a helicopter full of money, that's just wrong. When we stopped giving yeah. them air cover and protecting, they became sitting ducks. Pakistan ended up being a staging area. They became a worldwide terrorist reporting camp in Pakistan, and they came in without any help. 
So a lot of these guys yeah. fought. And just to say, well, they don't want to fight. What do you want me to do? Must drive a guy like you, uh, Scott Mann, crazy. It really does. It's such a false narrative because they did fight. They did bleed. They, and they're still resisting. Like there are still commandos and special forces that are resisting right now and are, and are willing to resist more. But here's what I'll tell you is this one's going to follow us home because al-Qaeda, this is something else that came out of this conference yesterday, because these guys are well-placed and they have people in the country, and they're saying al-Qaeda is completely reconstituted. Zawahiri has been replaced. You have foreign fighters from Southeast Asia, from North Africa, training openly on the Afghan army compounds that we trained on in Helmand and Kandahar. They're now training in the open and with clear intentions to strike the West again. And how expensive is that going to be in blood and treasure when we have to go back in to that country, and we had 20-plus thousand Afghan commandos and special forces that could have kept this fight against al-Qaeda and ISIS going. Uh, pick up Scott's book. It tells the story of what happened over the last year. If it drives you, if it really gets under your skin what happened, how we left, and the fact the administration doesn't talk about it, uh, pick this up, and you'll know the real story. And by the way, the unequal status between the Ukrainians, who I really respect, and the Afghans, who properly screened I love to respect, is just in, unacceptable. And again, one yeah. more time, 1% of Afghans as opposed to how 20, many Ukrainians? Yeah, 77% of the SIVs for Ukrainians have been accepted, 0.19% of the Afghans. And again, these are people that, like we have, we fought with them. We, we know who they are. We can not only vouch for them, but we have tons of data on them. Uh, there's no reason. They're far more vetted than the 68,000 Ukrainians that came across, I guarantee it. Thanks so much, Scott. Uh, appreciate it. And best of luck with your book. Uh, are you going to be on Fox and Friends this weekend? Yeah, uh, talking to Pete about it right now, hoping I will. And just appreciate all the support from across the country on Operation Pineapple Express and, and really in just honoring the stories of our, our warriors and our Afghan partners because it's the story that hadn't been told. And thank you for giving us a voice on it, Brian. I, I do the easy part. You do the hard part. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, thank you. Thanks, pal. You got it. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to take your calls, one 408 uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I want to be very clear. Very clear up front. <clears throat> Not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. I know, because I've been able to work with these mainstream Republicans. What is a mainstream Republican? People that follow Donald Trump? Nobody's pro-January 6th. Maybe Matt Gates. I'm not sure. Nobody. So what are you talking about? There's people you could deal with that actually want the border enforced, people you deal with that would like a corporate tax rate to stay low, people that you deal with that want to fight back on crime and back the cops. Those are the people you can deal with. Uh, Those are not MAGA Republicans. What are you talking about? Howard, uh, listening in Boca Raton, Florida. Hey, Howard. Hello. What's on your mind? Yeah, hi. How you doing? Um, I just want to point out a couple of things. I'm a therapist, so I could recognize psychological manipulation. And I know that the, at the basis of every psychological disorder, OCD, anxiety, PTSD, is fear. So when you have – so Biden isn't really making the speech to America. He's trying to energize his base and to vote because he recognizes that they weren't really so – 
uh, gung-ho based on his performance. So he has to do something to get them to vote because he knows that he had the pandemic. He had other things in the past to get the people motivated to vote against Trump or whatever. So he uses the speech to kind of energize his base, use fear and anger to get people emotionally disturbed and, and unable to think clearly. And that message is going to be repeated and repeated and repeated over and over by news media, other Democratic uh, candidates, Kathy Hogel, and other local people to, to use the message of fear to make yeah. sure that they uh, Possibly. I mean, but you have 66 days, and uh, you started off at a 10. Was he, how, what more severe things is he going to say now that he's bringing up Donald Trump on a regular basis? Bob was on WABC in Long Island. Hey, Bob. Uh, Brian, I wanted to mention after last night's hate speech, what the Democrats do is they call people fascist and racist. I know. What I think Republicans have to do, and I'm a conservative, Brian, they have to now refer to the Biden administration as the dictatorial regime and use that phrase over and over and over again. I hate to use it, but unfortunately, racist and fascist works. And we have to set the narrative rather than what the Democrats do every election cycle is they set the tone for the elections, not Republicans. Yeah, you know what? They think that Republicans said it. I, I agree with you. Get on the offense, uh, figure out where you stand on abortion and go with it. For example, Marco Rubio came out and said, look, I'm pro-life. Not everybody in Florida is pro-life. I'm for 15 weeks. Same thing with Yunkin. Uh, that seems to be the universal accepted phrase. Others who are pro-life says that's not what the Supreme Court said. I get it, but you got to be practical. And again, just your beliefs don't necessarily have to be the beliefs of everyone in your state. Number two, they got to go ahead and say crime, the border, Afghanistan. You start on the nose three, then you go inflation, gasoline prices, destroying the fossil fuel industry for an irresponsible reason. Alex, California. Alex. Hi, thank you for taking my Hello, thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to say the worst aspect of Afghanistan is that we wasted the sacrifice of our soldiers. Our men and women who died there who suffered severe injuries, they suffered for nothing because we pursued a failed strategy. And the blame for this situation falls squarely on the American public because they failed to recognize a failed strategy due to the I don't fact know. that they they've lacked- had a bunch of different strategies. They had big surges, they had little surges, they had let these people alone, uh, they had a backing off situation. Did a lot of training. Uh, the American people are not military experts. We turned that over to military experts in a very difficult environment, but they accomplished great things over 20 years, and we'll see where it goes. Not with this administration, but the next. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Americans should be paying attention to what happens when you go with green energy, because Europe is telling us a big story, Pete. Nobody's paying attention in America. Uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that the uh, that the um, Brits are now looking at an 80 percent increase in their utility wow. bills because they're hooked on uh, on the uh, Russian uh, natural gas. Uh, look what's happening in some of these other countries like Germany and Spain. They don't have enough energy because they tried green energy and it failed. So that why aren't we paying attention to that in the United States? 
We're looking at big increases in utilities uh, this uh, fall and winter uh, with maybe 50 percent increases because we have a shortage of energy. Right. And uh, we don't want to do nuclear. Europe didn't want to do nuclear. Japan's getting them back online. Europe's so desperate they might refire up coal plants. And then we see California say no more. Uh, We're not going to sell any gas cars after 2035, and we're going to stop building gas stations. Is that a wise move? Michael Schellenberger joins us now, best-selling author. His book, Apocalypse Never, and and San Francisco uh, is noteworthy and perfect for this conversation. Michael, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Michael, first off, are you astounded that the uh, the day after California makes those announcements, they have to announce uh, don't plug in your electric car and we'll get ready for rolling blackouts, (laughs) put your thermostat at 78 degrees? I mean, look, it was, it's, it's insane, right? I mean, here we they, – they just said we're going to phase out all gasoline-powered cars by 2035. Uh, we're going to ban their sale. And then, then, then six days later they said, well, don't plug in your cars tonight because we're going to have blackouts. This is the third year in a row of blackouts. They, the governor keeps blaming climate change as though climate change isn't something that we've been hearing about for 30 years, drummed into our conscience. California is a state that is obsessed with climate change. So the excuse of climate change for the failure of the governor and the legislature to purchase enough natural gas power plants, it's a crime. I mean, they're they're now restarting plants that burn jet fuel to be able to keep the lights on in California. And they want us to now switch to electric cars. It's a kind of collective madness. It is. And when I think about it, and you wrote about this, so as as Europe is about to face a winter in which they cut off Nord Stream, two, two never got online and one is about to be cut off, they need natural gas. And we could provide it and Canada could provide it. What are we saying to Germany, France, and the U.K.? Well, this is – we should be – we're telling them basically to drop dead. I mean, we're just not expanding oil and gas production at the levels that we should be. I mean, you've now seen the, the president of France told Biden in front of a group of reporters in June that they couldn't count on the Arab countries to produce more oil. He was right. Instead of increasing oil production, Biden keeps flying around the world to Venezuela, to Saudi Arabia, fist bumps the crown prince, trying to get them to produce more oil. Why isn't he expanding oil at home? They say, oh, well, we're worried about climate change. But then why are you asking the Saudis to, burn, to produce more oil? Uh, we have the largest natural gas reserves in the world in the United States. We have enough natural gas to supply ourselves in Europe for a thousand years. Why isn't Biden doing it? Well, it's because he's he says he's he's basically trying to deliver favors to the environmental interests uh, that really have a huge influence over the Democratic Party. But the result is that we're going to see huge electricity price increases in the United States. Europe is going to lose its heavy industries, glass, steel, automotive. We saw the chancellor of Germany flew to Canada last week to beg Canada to produce more oil and gas. So this is a shame. You know, we've we've put it on ourselves since World War II to protect our allies in Europe. We're, we're supposed to care and take care of Europe. We're falling down on that under President Biden. It's a real national shame. Intentionally. And it's just because of an ideology, not even a philo- and a philosophy, but not a practical plan. None of this is ready. There's no country that you can look at and say, we got to do what they're doing. 
right? I mean, you can't you can't make that transition. If you had a way, if you said, I'm going to go nuclear, nuclear could provide energy, safe energy, but we don't want to do that. And we also don't want to burn natural gas, which burns burns clean, especially the way we do it and the, and the responsible way in which we drill oil. We are the most responsible ex- exploration uh, country in the world, correct? Absolutely. We, we have the best practices, the best policies in the United States. Natural gas is domestically produced. Nuclear power is domestically produced. Our petroleum is domestically produced. You know what happens? You know where the solar panels all come from? China. You know where the rare earths that go into the wind turbines all come from? China. You want to switch to electric cars? You're becoming dependent on China. This is exceedingly dangerous. We just saw the danger that occurs to Europe when it became overly dependent on a totalitarian Russian government, on Vladimir Putin, who's now cutting off their energy supplies. And now Biden wants to make us dependent on the Chinese government for our, our transportation, for our electrical grids. This is absolute insanity. There's no excuse for it. We produce the cleanest, best electricity in the world in the United States. We need to be producing more of it for ourselves, more of it for our allies in Europe and Asia, rather than becoming dependent on China and exporting all these good jobs abroad. I mean, these guys point, they say, oh, well, there's good jobs in installing solar panels. All that is is unboxing solar panels produced, by the way, by enslaved Uyghur Muslims in China, living in concentration camps, making solar panels that we then say are green, I mean, it is. Uh, this is a religion. That's the only way to understand it. This is a fanatical, apocalyptic religion that has. They're using fear to try to control the population, making us make decisions that are ultimately very self-destructive. Michael Schellenberger is with us, author, author of Apocalypse Never in San Francisco, which we're witnessing. Uh, I want you to hear what Marco Rubio said about this whole thing. Cut 32. One of the critical problems with left-wing policies like you see coming from the Democratic Party these days is that they don't mesh with common sense and reality in the real world, right? So they have these policies now where we're going to go all this, you know, battery-powered solar panel. We don't have the infrastructure for that. We're not anywhere near that. Even though all the tax credits in the world are not going to change that. Number two, a lot of the materials that you need to build these batteries and solar panels, all that comes from China, so you're empowering them. And number three is what pointed out today, and that is we don't even have the charging stations. And if we do, they're telling people not to charge the electric cars. Meanwhile, the 90-something percent of the cars that are on the road driven by real, everyday Americans, they require gasoline. And we're not producing more of it. We're not providing more of it. We're, we're, we're doing things that are hurting our economy and really hurting people's pocketbooks. Michael, there's nothing he said that I don't think you have, uh, you have written about, you haven't written about before. It's actually, it's even worse than that. I mean, Biden came into office. You know, there was a we don't have enough refinery capacity. We need more refinery capacity to be able to par- turn the petroleum that we produce into gasoline and diesel and other products, jet fuel. There is a refinery on the Virgin Islands, U.S. Virgin Islands, U.S. territory that has it's an older refinery. It just needs to be retrofitted. There was a proposal to invest two to three billion dollars to make it state of the art because it was too polluting. It's like decades old. They just needed to retrofit it. Instead, the Biden administration killed it at a time of the worst energy crisis in 50 years. When did they you kill know, it? They, they are blocking. 
Well, they, because they made the excuse that they killed it because it was polluting, but the but the only reason it was polluting is because they didn't allow them to retrofit it. So, I mean, you see this again and again. It's like, you know, look, there's a lot of mystification of this stuff. These are just, it's just pipes. It's just, uh, it's just equipment that needs to be upgraded. It, you know, the, the we can expand oil and gas production in the United States within a year to 18 months. And we've been in the midst of this energy crisis, by the way, since last year. It actually started last year before Russia invaded the Ukraine, before it invaded Ukraine. That made it worse, which made it even more urgent to take action. But Biden could have been taking action on this, you know, a year, year and a half ago. Wow. And, and that's how long, it, you know, it takes about a year to get the production up and running again. But this is not rocket science. We know how to expand oil and gas production the Biden administration is just refusing to do it. And they're the same people that could not foresee the, the baby formula thing. Well, we had no idea. Well, when you took the number one plant offline, you should have known this was going to be a problem in a few months. And now he says, I want these guys to, to pump more. Uh, they're making too much money. And now let's punish the gas stations for making the price too high. It's insane. But one guy that's not insane is Glenn Youngkin. The businessman understands responsibility and understands, too, in Virginia, they're not going to be buying this California policy. Listen to what he told Tucker on Wednesday. Virginians elected me governor last year. They wanted to put a stop to an effort from the previous Democratic-led administration to turn Virginia into California. Well, little, little did they know that they had signed legislation and, and tied Virginia Took decisions are going to be made in California. So not only did they pick the, a state that has demonstrated it has no idea how to run itself, to tie itself to, but they abdicated their responsibility to serve Virginians. And so we find ourselves today with this ludicrous law that Virginia has to follow California's laws. And so we're going to go to work and stop this because Virginians should be making decisions for Virginians. And that's what I hope. I hope people with a sense of organization and responsibility that don't have expertise ask people questions instead of uh, signing up for any religion. Well, that's what we got to do. I mean, this is not, you know, keep your religion private, okay? We're Americans. We like to, we have different faiths, you know, that we have Christians and Jews and Hindus and atheists. That's fine. And now we have climatology is another religion. Yeah. Yeah, don't make your energy policy your religion because that's going to end up you're going to end up sacrificing people's lives and michael what, what is your, your tell everybody your background that got you to this area where you felt as though you had to take action and write these stories in these columns i mean lifelong i was lifelong progressive and democrat uh, i'm now an independent you know i was an advocate of renewables i helped persuade the obama administration to make a huge investment in renewables and right away, we started having these huge problems. I mean, most people are familiar with the Solyndra scandal, which was this totally failed solar company. But it was all much worse than that. I mean, it was, you know, I'm a lifelong conservationist. I really care about saving, you know, endangered desert tortoises and golden eagles and, and spotted owls and all of the animals that, that we care about are threatened. We now know that if you expand, this is according to U.S. government scientists, if we expand wind farms, the amount that they want to expand them, it's going to kill half of all golden eagles in the United States. So it's because it takes 300 times more land at a minimum to generate the same amount of electricity from a solar or wind farm as it does from a nuclear plant or a natural gas plant. Those numbers have to matter to you. 
And then, of course, the other issue is that solar panels and wind turbines are totally unreliable. The more unreliable energy you add to the electrical grid, the more expensive it makes electricity, the more unreliable it makes electricity. That's why California, the fifth largest economy in the world, can barely keep the lights on. We've just added too much weather-dependent renewables to the grid. Unfortunately, that's the Biden administration's plan for the future. It's to make the rest of the United States more like California. So I'm, I'm here to warn everybody. It's a bad road to go down. We need to resist, actively resist and block the expansion of solar and wind farms because it's just, it's killing wildlife. It's making electricity expensive. Ultimately, I see it as a kind of nihilism, a, a deliberate effort to, to undermine the foundation of our civilization, right. which is cheap energy. And by the way, the Leo DiCaprio's of the world who want to fly around and tell everyone that you're wrong, uh, they can afford to pay more. But the people that go paycheck to paycheck are already scrambling because of what happened. One in six people listening to us right now will be late on their utility bill. If this continues, that number will be uh, uh, that that number will be astronomical. Michael, thanks so much. We'll continue to follow you, and, and thanks so much for being the voice of reason. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Michael Schellenberger, thank you. Uh, when we come back, we'll finish up with what's on your mind as we get set for Labor Day. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep in mind, One Nation is going to be on at 8 o'clock, special edition, and then repeated at 11. And if you're in Albany or around Albany this Thursday, I can't believe it's this Thursday, September 8th, make sure you find your way to the egg. We'll talk about things like this show and also about our history from the, the books I was able to write and research uh, to the ones I'll be working on and would find out what's on your mind. So go to BrianKillMe.com. You'll see it all there. Don't move. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Just uh, uh, thanks so much for listening all show long, all week long as we get set for Labor Day. We've got a great show uh, set for you on Monday, too. And remember, if you uh, ever want the show and you miss it, you, your schedule's all screwed up, or, or you're just at work, uh, BrianKilmeadeShow.com, get the podcast. It's all uh, queued up for you. We cut the commercials out, and it's all me and my guests. So let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Well, that was quick. Serena and Venus Williams get a wild card to go to the U.S. Open. Play doubles. Might be the greatest doubles ever. They lost. In and out. They lost their first round of the U.S. Open doubles. They lost to a Czech Republic team. Uh, Linda Shaishai, Noska Noskaova, and Lucy Haradika on Thursday would expect it to be their final time on court together. He might Venus is 41, had a great career too. No one even knows that. The question is, can Serena win tonight? Can she win Friday night and win? She beat the number two player in the tournament. Can she win again tonight on Friday? Tickets are as much as $45,000 for an unobstructed view. Why is Serena still playing at 40? And will she continue? Listen to what she said. He's one of the main, one of the reasons I'm here. One of the main reasons I'm still playing. Um, so we we talked a lot, and he was really trying to get me motivated. And there's a few people, but you know, he was. Uh, we were like, okay, we can do this together, you know. And um, and it was good because it was like I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I, I just lost, and I, I, 
just so many questions. And when you can rely on someone like that, I mean, my goodness, he's Tiger Woods. It just was um, really helpful to get clarity. All right, there you go. That's why she's still playing. Plus, he's uh, Tiger's uh, five years older, coming back from that devastating injury. We'll see how he does. Next, Paul Pelosi dodged an extra 20% loss selling uh, NVIDIA stock in July, right before the August U.S. restrictions. As you know, we're pivoting all of our manufacturing as much as possible and pressuring companies to get out of China into Vietnam. Well, guess what? Uh, Pelosi's husband unloaded 25,000 shares of semiconductor manufacturing July 27th. The sale came as the speaker faced intense scrutiny over a husband purchase of the share ahead of the chips bill. Nearly a month later, August 26th, the federal government placed restrictions on that stock due to for doing business with China and Russia. And there you go. A selling price of $165,000 to July netted Pelosi $341,365. Uh, there you go. Uh, unusual uh, report. Pelosi is in trouble. That is a lot of scrutiny on a woman that's going to be out of Congress soon. Next. Pilots nationwide are picketing for a change ahead of this busy Labor Day weekend. Did you see this? Pilots were beyond exhausted. They are trying to get us to fly to the maximums, according to the Pilots Association. Flight attendants joined pilots in their protest earlier this year. Flight attendants are standing with the Delta pilots as they picketed for a fair contract. Uh, now, uh, for too long, Delta pilots have essentially had to negotiate for all workers at Delta. Well, the reason why you're late... They got rid of way too many pilots in the pandemic. These airlines got rid of too many people, even though they got money to keep people employed. And now we're all screwed. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.